welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Runcie. Today, we have a special guest who's a former Major League Baseball player, now turned artist. I'd like to welcome Micah Johnson to the podcast. Welcome, man. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad you could come through and it's been an exciting time, especially for you. But before we get to everything that's happened in the past few weeks, let's go back a few years because you had a career in Major League Baseball. It was what you would wanted to do your whole life. And then you decide to leave that and want to go into art full time. Take me through that thought process. What was that like? How were you feeling at the time? It was more organic than you would think, you know, it wasn't like leading up to it. I said, this is my final game and made a big ordeal about it. It was more organic. I wouldn't say it's how I envisioned, you know, going out, but at the time, you know, I really wanted to focus on like my mental health and my mental well-being, And I knew it was the right decision in order to make sure I was all right. So that's kind of how it took place. It wasn't like I was a uh, Michael Jordan. This is my last game and, you know, ceremony and none of that. Cause I remember I read that there was some, meeting that you all had this is when you're at the dodgers and dave roberts had asked a bunch of you all hey like what are you interested in what are your hobbies and you had mentioned art and painting and you quickly became known as the guy at least not just within the team but also within baseball as the one that has paintings and this is what you do yeah and it's funny because like when that all happened you know the first painting was so bad but a few of those guys came up to me and said like how good it was or talent i was or something and I believed him, so I just kept painting. That was literally how I'm here. That's it. If everybody in the room was like, that's trash, then I wouldn't be doing this. And like, point one is like, that shows you how much just like kind words instilling confidence in somebody can really make a difference. Even if you don't like something or there's no reason to say something negative. Like, there's zero benefit of being negative. It took a while to establish myself as an artist after that. It wasn't like overnight, all these guys thought I was like a painter. Up until recently, this past summer, was when they were all like, oh, wait, like, this is Micah. Like, this is the guy that was playing baseball. And my goal was always to be known as an artist and as a creative and not as, like, the artist creative baseball player. And I think I finally shook that thing. Definitely. What was it like? Because I know you mentioned it took a while to feel like you had established yourself. Were there specific things you had done intentionally or was a lot of that organic as well? I work, man. I work from the moment I wake up till probably way past the time I probably should go to bed. And it's every day. There's no like aha moment. It's like, I really worked on my craft. We'll get into like why I'm painting the way I paint or the stuff I'm trying to say, but I just work. I believe if you do something enough, I don't care if we wanted to like learn to code, if we wanted to learn how to make beats, I don't care if you want to like, you know, become like a, a NASDAQ or stock trader, right? You do it enough. You're going to be good at it. So for the years, like after I retired, I just painted in my garage and I, I would get up early in the morning, like, you know, six, five in the morning, paint all day and do it again the next day. And I still do that because I think that A is practice, but I enjoy it. And the one thing I enjoy most about all of this and any success is not the success, it's the whole journey to get there. Like seeing yourself get better in this painting or see yourself making better decisions and things like that. That's what I enjoy. I think that consistency is key. That goes back to that whole 10,000 hours thing, right? Like you can't really feel like it until you get to that kind of level. And for you, like you say, you've been doing it nonstop. Have you kept track of how many pieces of artwork you've done since when you first started? No, because I throw a lot away. I throw a lot away. So if you count those, I mean, hundreds or thousands, because 
what works for me is I just paint with raw motion, right? A lot of times I just use my hands, dumping charcoal, throwing charcoal, and just shaping things. A lot of times it doesn't work out. Like I'm not a natural born, maybe I am, but like, I, but like for me to develop those skills and doing that, I'm still developing, right? So when you see something beautiful, that comes from like a lot of mistakes, right? Or a lot of bad decisions that I've learned from and don't make it. No problem throwing things away at any stage in the painting either. If we're like almost done and something's off, I have no problem. A lot in the dumpsters. <laughs> I hear you on that. It's funny. Hearing you talk about this makes me think about how I can be to some extent with my own writing as well. People may see the polished product that's out there after I press send, but you don't know how many stories that are still in the drafts, how many stories either just didn't make it because the moment passed and the thought just didn't come clearly enough at the time. But it's key. And I'm sure it's tough as well because so much of what you're doing, you're not just trying to comment on something that is of the moment. You're trying to put something out there that can like live over time. I think I saw one of the earlier works you had done a few years ago. It was the Ken Griffey Jr. where he's blowing the bubble gum. And I mean, that's such an iconic photo, but it's you being able to put your own spin on that. And I can imagine that took quite a bit of time to create something like that. Yeah. And even evolving from that to like really having a style that is recognizable, that was the hardest part, right? This is my thesis is to be a successful creative. And I mean like successful monetarily or legacy, you have to have a style that everybody recognizes instantly. Right. And you can't deviate from that because then they don't know what that is. That's what they're accustomed to. So being creative, you think you can do all these crazy things. You can't like, you're almost even more constricted, the more successful you become. So for me, when I was doing works like that, I didn't feel well because I was trying to come up with a style. And eventually I found it and it was just like a light bulb went off. And it's crazy because sometimes, you know, I have an exhibit in Los Angeles right now. And during that time, I did like a really kind of like hyper-realistic oil painting, which, you know, my style is like raw charcoal. And I was like, yo, this is amazing. And it takes to the gallery and they're like, ah, I don't know. Like, this doesn't work really well. And I was like, yeah, I know. Huh? <laughs> like, so you got to kind of stay in your lane for at least a while. Yeah, it seems like there's a few stages, especially in being a creative. It's like when you don't have your own style at first, you often end up emulating what you see from other folks. You do that, you see how much you like. And I think once you see what resonates based on what you feel comfortable with, then it really starts to come into your own. And to your point, it's like you want to get to that point. And in some ways, I think you're there. You want to now, you want to get to that point though, in general, where it's like someone looks at this and they're like, oh, Micah Johnson did this. That's that Micah Johnson style. Yeah. And to your point too, like when you are creating early on, you are emulating people and you're looking at Instagram and all that, right? And I think it's important in anybody's progress or process, whether you're a writer or a painter or learning anything, the social media is a tool to use. But then it comes to a point where you got to say, okay, like if I keep looking at this social media and what other people are doing, I'm never going to figure out what I'm good at or what my style is. So I'm at the point now where like I don't do social media. I don't enjoy it because you can get stuck in that creative block because you're seeing what everybody else is doing and it subconsciously I should be doing this. Like I like this, you know, and you just get away from yourself really. When you were looking at social media, were there artists or people that you were following specifically that you were trying to emulate in the early days? Yeah. It's funny because it was such a wide spectrum. Like when I first started, it was acrylic, like pop art work and like really fine lines. So I have works like that. And it was just like, 
that's not me. My mind's all over the place. Like I'm wild. Like that's not my style. And then when I started evolving into like charcoal and stuff, right. So I'm looking at like Nelson McConnell, right. One of the most renowned artists in the world, in my opinion. And like, whatever he's doing is elite, like the Michael Jordan of art. And, you know, then you start doing things like that and it's like, okay, that's not my style either. Right. But I think all that was a process to like teach me how to, where I met. I took the colors that I saw in pop art. I take that kind of like looseness, you know, Nelson has, right. And I tried to like, just make it my own and shape it. I'm still doing that. I don't think you'll ever stop. You'll never be there, you know? But those two in particular really kind of like steered me. And it was ironic too, because Nelson is, you know, working with children in South Africa too. And I, you know, my point of emphasis, children going back to when my nephew asked if astronauts could be black, that's the origin of wanting to paint children, painting him as an astronaut. So the pop art was Shelby and Sandy. Then you have Nelson Nakamo, two opposing works, right? Two opposing styles. But it's like, you kind of see that influence in me a little bit. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. And from a creative perspective, I know one of the other common things we're always hearing people talk about as well is who are your customers? How are you able to like build that following, build that base? And I'm sure it's a little different for you in creating fine art. What is that like though? So when I was creating and I was telling you I was lost and like trying to paint all these things, right? I was focusing on the customer and the collector and like what they might want or what might sell or things like that. And I was never gaining any real traction. I didn't feel good about it. And I think people can sense if you're inauthentic. And so when I said I painted my nephew as an astronaut, like I just literally in my garage started painting him with the astronaut helmet on. And I saw what that did to his confidence and I saw what the way he responded. So that felt right to me. Like it wasn't like anything. I wasn't selling these or anything like that. It just felt right to me. So what I realized was when people started buying him and then galleries were interested in my work, I realized that being authentic to yourself is what people are going to buy. If there's a story behind it, if you can clearly articulate your messaging behind what you're doing, then people are going to buy it regardless of how um, hyper-realistic something is or how good something is. I think people are buying more so the person in the story than they are maybe technique or whatever that is. The feeling, especially with creative work, that's what sets the tone and helps you stand out, for sure. So with what you've done, you are clearly starting to hit a stride with what you're doing with charcoal, what you're doing with acrylic. And then NFTs come about and you enter that space. When did you first see the potential there to think, okay, I have what I'm doing here. Maybe there's a way to transfer it to this new wave that's happening. It's actually funny because... I don't see a way to transfer my art to NFTs. Like we're talking about charcoal. We're talking about texture. We're talking about like raw emotion and fingerprint. My work doesn't translate. I want my work on your wall. I want you to see it. I want you to like feel something with this big painting at large scale on your wall. My work doesn't translate. And when I first got in the space about a year ago, you know, I was like doing like iPad stuff and, and things like that. And I did maybe like three or four works like that. Right. And just didn't do anything after that. Cause I was like, you know, I wanted to focus on my art career this doesn't feel authentic to me. So took a break and always wanted to develop a character, Aku, derived from my nephew's question and his passion and whatever. And so I said, NFTs is a good way to do this. So developed a character over months. And what I really wanted to do with Aku was bring it in the terms of what Disney did, treat it as almost like a company. Aku is a company that we brought to the blockchain. So you have creatives, you have 
animator, you have all these components, right? That's how I bring my, my creativeness to the blockchain versus I'm going to do a painting or things like that. That IP, as we referring to, like having Aku be a piece of your intellectual property is key because that goes back to the storytelling and that leverages the potential in this because as you've seen with Disney, these characters can live everywhere, whether it's you go to Magic Kingdom or wherever you see these characters, you turn on Disney Plus, you see these characters, you go to AMC, you see these characters. And that's really what you're kind of going for. And it's cool. I feel like there's a huge potential then you've already been tapping into that yeah exactly and i think what's interesting now and i'm always trying to do something that can show somebody that was possible and then have them do something better you know it's all about building and building and building for the next generation and next people and you're exactly right what i did is i have ip i have a character and i think it's a character that needs to be seen and obviously after the first release and the community that was involved all across the world people need to feel that kind of connection with them right and so that IP, you know, I have big plans. Like, I, you know, I'm thinking the exact same way. How can we get him on these shows? How can we get Aku into movies? How can we can get Aku into every kid's house, right? Or a kid's room. Like, kids sit there and watch the Wiggles all day. Why can't they watch Aku, this kid who just wants to be a Black astronaut, but it feels like he can't? I think everybody can resonate with that story, like feeling like there's limitations to your dreams, like regardless of your skin color. So what we did was I said, okay, we're going to bring this to the blockchain first to prove market fit. That's what NFTs and the blockchain really do. There's a collector base there. You can prove, you can make money, generate revenue there before going to these productions and these studios, right? And trying to sell them on this IP with this elaborate story and all that. We can just try to establish this character first, establish this IP first, then take that to them and say, look, this is how many people are engaged with this. This is how many people are collecting this. This is the revenue we generated off of 60 second, really artistically done clip. This is what we're bringing you. And that's where I'm fascinated with NFTs is, or the whole marketplace in general is that potential. And you definitely made a statement with that. As you mentioned, within the first 45 or 60 seconds, you sold a million dollars worth. And then within the total 28 hours that you had it on sale, over $2 million. How did that feel? Were you expecting that? Uh, no, no, no. I never think about money, man. I never have monetary goals. Even with my exhibit in LA, no idea what sold, what hasn't sold, and no idea what the prices are for my paintings. I don't know at all. Because as soon as you start thinking about money and if you start focusing on that, that becomes like the objective. My objective is to reach kids and whoever, parents, adults, it doesn't matter, reach people. What that monetary value does that you just said, it gets attention from people. It's a new space. What is it? Oh, you're making millions of dollars it's attention grabbing, which is great. You know, you need that, but I'm more focused on the community that it's built. You had rappers talking about Aku. You had celebrities talking about Aku. You had athletes talking about Aku. You had crypto people, everyday people. You had people that put together just a thousand bucks to get an Aku. You had a community of people all around the world come together for one day on one chapter. We had like thousands of people in a clubhouse room on a Sunday, just having fun. That's what really got me excited. Money aside, that's what really, really got me excited to see the potential here. Yeah, that was dope. You got some heavy hitters there. And like I told you, I think right before we started recording, 
I had seen so many people that I'd follow that were like posting it, resharing it. And I was like, oh, they got in too. Like, it was really special to see. Let's talk a little bit more about that base and that collective that was able to help push this forward because you alluded to it earlier. I know one of our uh, mutual friends, Eric Ann, was part of this. She's definitely leading a lot of the efforts in this space. What was that like in terms of being able to use that as a platform to help spread the word and the awareness? What we saw and how the Aku became this thing where everybody across borders was collecting was started with a few of the leaders in the black crypto space. 36 hours before we launched on Sunday, they started a group chat and said, this is our opportunity to put a black character and a black artist at the front of a movement, which is NFTs from Jump Street, right? This is our chance to take over, not, you know, not take over, but lead the way in this new market, right? That obviously is generating a bunch of revenue. So they got together and just leveraged their network and just reached out to people and instantly like, what do we need to do? Okay, cool. What do we need to do? Okay, cool. Because they resonate with the story and it was authentic. You know, what that showed me, and I hope it showed a lot of people that understood what really happened was black people generate the revenue. When there's a mass of black people, we're, we mob, man. Like that was incredible. I think that story needs to be told and like you're going to see as the chapters evolve what really occurs here. And I don't know how to explain it, man. It's like it put the people on notice in the space. Like they drove $2 million in sales 36 hours out from like three people in a group chat, right? That's powerful, man. That's the alpha of it all. It really is. I mean, I think that there's a few things happening. There just had been so many examples of black folks being the key drivers of culture, whether it is on these new social media platforms. We're just talking about Clubhouse earlier. We were the early adopters and the ones that pushed that to the billion dollar valuation that it has now. And you see this happen time and time again. So the fact that there was this new wave and this new trend happening, and we already saw what the potential was, people being able to A, support and see the potential and the vision of what you were doing, but also the character Aku and the potential and the vision of what's there, that's what gets people bought in too. So one, it's tying into what you're doing, but it's also, hey, there's this broader opportunity. We know we have the collective power. And yeah, I mean, the Rolodex and the group circles are very close. It kind of reminds me of, there was this one episode of Blackish from a few years ago, where it was Anthony Anderson's character was talking with another Black, I think it was Dion, and the two of them were talking and they were just naming all these Black celebrities. And I was like, oh, do you know so-and-so? And then they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I met so-and-so with this. And they couldn't name someone that either of them didn't have a connection to. And it just speaks to the fact that you're not that many degrees of separation away from each other. And if you can coalesce the base, some dope shit can happen. And I'm really glad that, you know, you were one of the ones, not even just as a benefactor, because it speaks to the work and the content and what you were able to help put out with this. And this is just the beginning. Obviously, I was the artist there and I was the character there. And I brought the IP, right? And all that. But what that proved out was if we did this for one character in 36 hours, what do you think we could do with other artists, other platforms, other companies, other sectors. If we did that in 20, 36 hours, what do you think we can do for all together on this? And to your point, yeah, it's like, oh, let's call so-and-so. And it's like, yeah, we know them, we know them, we know them. The group that is together on this is connected everywhere. And that's what we're all really excited about internally is the other potentials out there, you know, from a business perspective, 
of the needles that we can move in the various sectors moving together. And it's powerful. And I think crypto is so new that it's like, this is an opportunity in here in crypto. This is a clear opportunity. It really is. It makes me think too about the character Aku. So of course it is a fictional character, but it's clearly based on like real life. But I also think about how I've seen some of these virtual influencers having their space too, like what Brud has done with Lil Michaela and I forget some of the other characters they got, but they are having these virtual concerts. They are having these types of meetings and meetups and their whole pitch is that Michaela is as real as Rihanna is if you see her that way. And I think to a lot of extent, what the potential is for something like Aku is true as well, because there's so many places where this character as IP can live and can continue to push and people can follow along that type of journey. So it's like intersecting that world too, which is still really nascent. Exactly right. What it took out from a business perspective on you know a couple of Sundays ago was we released IP in the most weird fashion in NFTs, right? What is NFT? Didn't matter to people. It did not matter. People messaging me like this is the first NFT I bought. So I think together what we can do is, okay, if that worked on NFTs, what could this do with figurines? What could this do with television shows? What could it do with things like that? And me just being the person I am, I just think I always had, you know, these ambitions, but it's like, this isn't just about a character. This is about an opportunity to have an enterprise like of other characters. For me, representation is the most important thing in a child. Like for me growing up, I was a big baseball fan, obviously I play on the Cubs, big Cubs fan, Brian McCray, right? Not the most well-known player ever by any means. I was like six, seven, five, whatever it was, knew exactly who he was. Like that was my guy. And this astronaut that gives them that representation, right? Obviously the astronaut helmet isn't the focus. Like he's it's not about being an astronaut. It's about, this unattainable thing that exists playing baseball is, seems like an unattainable thing. I did it and I'm, you know, six foot, you know, 180 pounds from nowhere, no abilities athletically, like the, the worst basketball, football, soccer player ever. And I did it. Astronaut seems like an unattainable thing. Others have done it. So just showing these kids that gives them hope, especially in a time with social media, when it's all like they're on social media at a young age and, the kids are saying negative things about them and like just blowing their confidence. I think it's relevant and it's important. Yeah. When I think about the visual aspect and just the ability for the idea to continue to spread, I'm curious if the people who have owned it or even you yourself, are there digital frames or anywhere or anything else up? Because I know you had mentioned earlier, like, you know, your core, you want your stuff to be out there. You want your stuff to be seen. Do you have frames and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out that actually now is because I didn't expect the response on, on chapter one, right? Did not expect that by any means. But a lot of people were asking about the frames and things like that. So we're trying to figure out how to ensure they have frames because like the creative team behind it is like putting out incredible things. Like if you had it on your wall, you'd be like, yo, this is wild, you know? Like it has to be on there. Like, so that's definitely something that we're looking into. I think it's so new in the space too having a frame that links to an NFT or NFT wall and things like that is still kind of confusing. So I guess from the outside looking in a bit, because you of course are working at one aspect of the NFT world, but you know, there's all these other things happening, whether it's NBA Top Shop or what 
artists are starting to do where they're starting to release music or have things like I even saw Hannibal Burris has a few of his old comedy sketches that he's putting out there. What is your thought on some of the other ways that you're seeing creatives or companies putting out NFTs? Well, look, I think the future of NFTs is not going to be in the thing that it is, the thing, the forward facing thing that it is. I think the future of it is going to be in the accessibility uh, and, you know, the maybe it's gated content or content creation ownership and provability. I think that is the future. Music's getting there, right? Music, I don't envision a world anymore where music won't be tied to some kind of NFT in some way, shape, or form. It's designed for music. I also think it's designed for content creators. If you think about it, content creators for so long have been posting stuff on Instagram and YouTube, trying to get these followings to get ad revenue that is a very, 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 very 0.00 percentage of what the actual company is making. So NFTs fix that. So I think that is the future that you're going to see here. Right now, everybody's just getting in trying to figure it out, right? Which is part of the process. You might not like some of the stuff they're putting out or things like that, or people might think it's like weird looking, but it's all part of the process. Figure it out. Then as everybody starts figuring it out, you're going to see a bunch of innovation, Mm -hmm. incredible amount of innovation. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it because I think in your space and in a few other creative spaces, the assets that you were creating still held tremendous value in the real world. And these are things that could appreciate a value and the market recognized that. For musicians, it was the exact opposite, where we saw this decrease over time. And as technology made it more abundant, it became less valuable in terms of just how much you're getting paid per stream. So when I'm seeing artists that are doing more creative things, putting it out there, it leverages what's there, but it also flips the dynamic back to what it was back in the days when they were selling CDs and they were taking home $5 for every $20 sale of the CD. Or to some extent, I mean, I think that the NBA trading cards probably fall a little bit closer to the artwork piece where, you know, if you had the valuable Jordan rookie card, it can appreciate a value over time and stuff like that. So I agree with you. I think the biggest value add opportunity seems to be for the creatives that were creating art that was marginalized in terms of its value thanks to technology in the past decades or so. And one sector, you know, I'm building out is sports. And athletes in general, not necessarily sports, like what NBA Top Shot is doing and what they're going to be doing is massive. They're elite, but there's another side of it. They came in at the very top level. They had, and it's very difficult to come in at that top level, like the fanatics where they're getting licensing, you know, it's expensive. They came in at the top level and what they're doing and what they're going to build in the future is always going to be there. I don't think that's a bubble. Don't let these people fool you and try to get you to sell your cards. That's not a bubble. Rohan, what they built is serious. But there's another aspect that I'm interested in as a former athlete who wasn't a superstar, but had a small window to leverage what I could do off the field to make money by leveraging my likeness. And that's what I'm building out now is a platform that allows individual athletes to come out and tell their story, share their content, help them create NFTs if they don't have some creative direction, and let them monetize their likeness. That's kind of where I'm at and kind of where I see the need just from my experience. That's interesting. And I think that honestly, in some ways, aligns up with the music aspect to some extent, if I'm just kind of connecting the dots, because if you are an athlete, either a current or a former 
professional athlete. You have your story. There are people that would value to hear that story. But right now, at least most of the people would go the traditional route where it's like, let me try to get the interview with X person. And they're the ones that have the IP from that. They're the ones that own everything from that. So if you could own that, and I think we see some of this shifting where it's like, okay, you see LeBron has uninterrupted and Spring Hill and a few of the others. Oh, there's tons of those. There's tons of those. And maybe not on LeBron's level, but just from conversations, there's tons of those. More so than ever, athletes are thinking off the field. Like I'm answering texts all the time from teammates, athletes, like, what's Dapper Labs? What is this? What is this company? What does this NFT do? What does this tech do? Right. More so than ever, they're empowered to make money off the field. And it's great to see. It's just that the content distribution hasn't really caught up yet. Which, you know, was an area I said, okay, this hasn't caught up yet. Obviously, I've been in NFT space a while. This is what we need. And, you know, brought on one of the best content partners in Shadow Lion, co-founded by Tom Brady. Guy Laud said, okay, let's go get content. Like, let's take your abilities to get content. Let's take my abilities to understand the need from an athlete perspective, but also what we can do with that content. And let's help these guys. Let's build this and help them monetize their story. Tell it how they want to, too. Yeah. That's great. I like that. It does seem like, I know you mentioned that first and foremost, the art piece of this is what you enjoy most is what you want to do. But naturally, there are more business or opportunities that you do want to be able to expand to. And especially, I'm sure you probably got more inquiries after Aku and that NFT blew up. What do your days look like now? Because I'm sure you probably still want to spend as much as your day creating and thinking about what the evolution of your art will be. But you also are a creative entrepreneur and there are other administrative tasks that I'm sure you want to do. I'm building, man. It's right now is build mode and that's it. My art blew up last summer and I dedicated my time to that. Like I was painting all day, getting better, 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 better. And I said, I was going to take a break. Well, Aku happened. Edge tap in the platform I'm building. Other opportunities presented itself, right? So right now, my days are 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. because people on the West Coast just, <laughs> they still awake at 8 p.m. So they're all day right now. This is how I think of it. You have sprints, then you have breaks, like you know, like the Indian runs you used to do back in the like, gym class where you have to like, the leader has to sprint up, then you would chill for a minute. Right now I'm in a sprint. And then, um, uh, hopefully I could take a break, but right now there's a lot of chances to build and bring people along with you and do something that could benefit a lot of people and benefit my family. So each day I wake up and I don't think anything of it. That makes sense. It's like, if you are someone that is a creative in this space, there are going to be moments where, okay, there's a stride to hit right now. And in order to set things up for the future, whether that's decades, generations, you got to kind of take those opportunities and ride them and maximize them when the window of opportunity is there. Yeah. It, even with Aku, like that's moving a lot faster than I expected it to move. Right. Obviously I had every vision in place, but it's moving a lot faster than you know I expected getting that whole entity in place with people that actually know what they're talking about, what they know, how to push product, how they know how to get it on the big screen and different things like that, which I believe is what great businesses do and great like founders do is they say, okay, I'm not good at this, but I need to get this person and this person and this person. And personally, I rather build something amazing and retain 
less equity than have a bunch of equity of something that's just average. It's interesting because I wonder if other artists would feel that same type of way. And in some ways, it's a bit refreshing to hear the bounce because I feel like there's so many creatives that, you know, they'd rather own the bigger slice of the smaller pie and have more control as opposed to... Which is fine, which is completely fine. Like, because they're artists. Like, you know, I would love, like, if my brain worked, I could just paint and think, but my brain's everywhere, man. I'm just wired. I just go and go and go and drink coffee all day. I admire that, honestly, that people just paint and they can do something like... A perfect example would be like those pop artists I was telling you about. Their style has never changed. Like they know exactly what they're doing and everything they do is the exact same quality, same look. You know exactly whose work it is and they're incredibly successful worldwide down. I admire those people because I'm like, you know, that's really impressive. But for me, I look at it more as from the business perspective, you know, our business, NFT is just a perfect timing, man. I feel like I was born in the right time where I can infuse both of those together somehow. It really is, man. It's dope. Let's fast forward five years. What does the Aku universe look like? What are the other ways that he is being involved? What are the other ways that he is being seen and immersed with the world? In five years, I mean, I've been very disappointed if Aku's not a motion picture, but also very disappointed if there's not a venture arm from Aku Inc. that can invest in companies. And this is my thesis behind that is I want to invest in companies that my grandparents who are born in like the deepest South ever, like middle of nowhere would be like, there's no chance you could ever be be on the cap table for that company. And that's my thesis behind that venture arm of Aku Inc. And then I want to build Aku Inc. to where it's not a character, but it's an enterprise of characters of programs, of platforms, led by a Black founder, led by Black characters. I don't think that is far-fetched to think. That's my complete vision, to be honest with you. Like, sure, like, show would be great and all that, but I think having more characters and encouraging other Black creators, Black animators to come out with their own shows and have them on Aku, the Aku Network, that's my big plan. I love it. I think you're on to something special, man. It's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, definitely. It's fun, man. If I fail, I fail. I just keep it moving, man. But I, I'm, I'm working. I don't think about failing. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Before we let you go and wrap up, is there anything else that you want to plug or let the Trapital audience know about? This is the most important thing, I think, for the NFT space. And as a Black creator, Black founder, the space is full of Black creatives of great ones. Not enough, but trust me, the same rules apply, not getting an intention that we deserve, but we're going to change that. But what's really going to make that needle move and let us really lead the entire, lead the space and make sure we have a major part in it is having black collectors in the space. So, you know, there's plenty of black collectors buying physical work and there's plenty of black collectors, you know, collecting in the physical assets. What's going to really move the needle is once they come and start collecting. And it was really cool because, you know, Pusha T collected Aku's, you know, NFT, right? And it was like, that really riled a lot of people up. Like, this is really cool. Imagine if more collectors come into space can have a really good major impact on the trajectory of Black art in this field, that which is way around forever. 
That's great. Well, I'm sure the folks listening were definitely going to tap in because I know a lot of people have been like, hey, how can I get more involved in this space? What can I learn? And honestly, whether it's the Black folks or even people that are just generally working in music, so many people are trying to figure this space out. And that was one of the reasons it was great to have you on. Hit me. My DMs are open for a reason. Like, hit me. Like, I wanted to bring on and onboard as many people as possible. That's great. What are your handles just so people listening can find you? Micah underscore Johnson three across the board. That's where it's at. Instagram, Twitter, Micah underscore Johnson three. Micah, it was a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Great, man. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Trapalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.